This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated Podcast. I'm your host, PWI senior writer, Al Castle. Hope you're all doing well here in the beginning of September. Uh, summer is just about uh, behind us, which is just fine with me. And in a moment, going to be joined by my co-host, Brian Solomon. And we're also going to be joined by PWI Editor-in-Chief, Kevin McElvaney, for a discussion of what is pretty much the biggest issue of the year for us, the PWI 500. Uh, by now, you're probably aware that it is out, available now for digital download. Um, some discussion of it last week on AEW Dynamite, and we're going to break it all down here in just a moment, uh, discuss the top 10, and feature an interview with our number one ranked wrestler. Yes, it's AEW champion John Moxley. I had the honor of talking to the champ uh, about his number one ranking in the PWI 500. And as you'd expect, he handled it in a very John Moxley uh, kind of way. Seemed a little uh, nonplussed, uh, but also uh, speaking to him, uh, digging a little deeper, uh, you could tell that this was a lifelong wrestling fan for whom the PWI 500 has meant something for a long time. And uh, I think he's genuinely... Uh, honored and privileged to be at the top of the list. Uh, talks a lot about it. Uh, I thought it was really interesting and and talked to him about um, this now, uh, meaning that all members of The Shield, him, Seth Rollins, and Roman Reigns, have all topped the PWI 500. He talks a bit about what that says about the three of them um, as a unit and individually, and uh, we talk uh, about a, a lot more. A portion of this is included in the magazine in our hot seat interview um, accompanying the PWI 500 list. Uh, there's a lot more here in the full interview, which we will um, listen to in just a moment after uh, we talk to Kevin and Brian to break down uh, the list. Uh, before we do all of that, uh, very quickly, let me tell you about how you could get the issue, the PWI 500, and really any other issue. Um, I, as I say, it is our uh, busy season, and um, certainly the PWI 500 is about as big an issue as we put out all year. I think it's real kind of uh, destination issue, tentpole issue, uh, even for, I think, sort of casual fans of the magazine, maybe only pick up one or two issues a, a year. And I know when, when I was a kid, didn't have a whole lot of money and, and uh, could only pick up a few issues uh, a year. This was one that I would never miss, the PWI 500. I believe this is now in its 30th year, um, started in 1991. Here we are in 2020. Uh, so the 30th edition of the PWI 500. Um, there is about 80 pages of coverage of the 500 in here. Uh, including the entire uh, 500 list, uh, bigger takeouts, bios for the top 10, um, our hot seat interview with John Moxley, this year's number one, uh, a take from a few of the writers, myself uh, included, uh, Harry Burkett, and this year we're introducing uh, a new voice to the takes, and that is Righteous Reg. Uh, definitely a, a different PWI 500 than you've seen in the past. Uh, part of that, I think, is... A, a sign of the times and the world that we're living in. Part of it is a reflection of our new leadership at PWI uh, under Kevin McElvaney. Um, but, but I think certainly a historic issue, one you don't want to miss. And um, so you don't miss it, go to pwi-online.com 
and pick it up, either the one issue or better yet, go ahead and subscribe and make sure you don't miss uh, any other big issues we've got coming uh, out right after this. We're already hard at work at the Women's 100, which is sort of the female counterpart to the PWI 500. And uh, we've got something else uh, potentially in the works that might make it sort of the trilogy of uh, rankings, but uh, we'll speak about that in, uh, another day. But right now, you could be digging into the 2020 PWI 500. Go to pwi-online.com, uh, download it uh, right now, customize for your digital device, or pre-order the print uh, edition. Uh, certainly, if you're a magazine collector, this is one that you're going to want to have in your hand, on your coffee table, maybe next to the toilet. I'm, I've been known to keep a few of them there as well. Um, and uh, whatever the case, wherever you keep your PWI, go to pwi-online.com and pick it up. Also, while you've got that computer open, uh, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a good review. We certainly appreciate it. Um, you can also feel free to send us an email uh, either here at the podcast, podcast at outlook.com or pwi at kappapublishing.com. Follow us in social media, uh, Twitter, at OfficialPWI. That's also our handle on Instagram. Find us on Facebook. Find us on YouTube. Uh, we've been more and more active in getting some uh, videos, some fun roundtables up on our YouTube channel. Pick up the T-shirt or T-shirts, uh, as it is, uh, at ProWrestlingTees.com. We've got a line now of uh, PWI T-shirts, including a brand-new PWI uh, 500, a couple uh, PWI 500 shirts as well. So uh, recognizing the significance, the importance of the PWI 500 brand. We've got a couple new t-shirts out that I think you're going to love. So uh, go to prowrestlingtees.com to pick them up. Okay, joined now by my co-host, PWI contributing writer, Brian Solomon. How are you, Brian? I'm doing okay, Al. How are you doing? Good. And also joined by PWI editor-in-chief and Chris Jericho's favorite moron, Kevin McElvady. How are you, Kevin? Good, good. Good to be <laughs> here. Uh, good to have that still going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and of course I'm referencing uh, Chris Jericho uh, mentioning you as part of AEW's uh, promotion of the 2020 PWI 500. Their champion John Moxley tops the list this year. We're going to talk about all that in just a moment. Uh, before we do that, uh, Brian, it's been a few weeks uh, since we've spoken. Since then, uh, we've had two WWE pay-per-views and a lot of news, uh, certainly pertaining to Roman Reigns, who made his surprise return at SummerSlam. Uh, a few days later, aligned with Paul Heyman, and a couple days after that, wins the Universal uh, Championship, and ostensibly is a heel now, so that that's a lot of development since we've uh, last talked. I wanted to uh, check in with you, get your, your thoughts on all of that, um, you know, the, does it, were you uh, satisfied with the presentation, and how much of a potential difference maker is this uh, for a company that could really use some freshening up? Yeah, I'm I'm really on board for the Roman Reigns heel turn. In fact, I think my biggest complaint about it is it probably should have happened like two or three years ago. They just didn't want to let go of this of this hopeless case of of making him the next John Cena. And I always felt like the the one thing that was holding them back from pulling the trigger was the the same reason they never turned Cena was that they always felt like they they needed somebody else to do the kind of public relations and kiss babies and all that stuff. And and now they have Drew McIntyre so they can safely 
do that. At least that's the way that I that I see it. I, I think it's a great way to, to freshen him up. I think having him with Heyman is fantastic. I mean, I hope they follow through on it. I just think like just looking at it from now, it, it's a great idea. And it's kind of what needed to be done with his character. It's just like it, it's again, it's like a Daniel Bryan thing where they're booking, playing into the real life you know, opinions of fans and things like that. I, I just think it's a really smart thing to do. I, I hope that it works. I really hope that it does. Cause, Cause I think that it has a lot of potential. I really do. Yeah. I, I largely agree. I like the way they brought him back. You know, the, the surprise at the end of SummerSlam uh, made what was otherwise a, a fine, but kind of mundane show uh, feel more special. Um, the, the introduction of, of Paul Heyman and, and the heel turn uh, as it was, I, I'm more than happy with him being cast as a heel. Uh, I don't know if they got everything out of it. I, I think we were missing that. And, and maybe it's because that moment happened uh, backstage at a SmackDown with no fans. And, and maybe it's inevitable. It's the best that you could do. But I don't know that they got the most out of it because there wasn't that that shocking moment, um, you know, uh, anything like that. But But yeah, I think... You know, on, on one hand, right, you could bring up they could have done this years ago, but they could also do it now and they could it certainly works right now. My concern, uh, as it as uh, I've had all along is, you know, so now you've got a, a huge heel champion uh, in in Roman Reigns, who is the the the, the baby face hero that eventually uh, unseats him. Uh, and uh, you mentioned McIntyre. And I think he's fine. He's on the Raw brand. On SmackDown, it's hard to pinpoint who that person uh, is. Um, you know, they're so kind of heel heavy right now. And on the babyface side, uh, a pretty weak. Uh, it, it, it's sort of intriguing to see them give Big E this push. Is Big E the guy who eventually works his way up to uh, the, the, the top of the card to, to challenge and, and unseat um, uh, Roman Reigns? Daniel Bryan is there. I guess he's on a break right now. Just had a baby. Uh, I don't know that he's the guy to unseat him, but I think there's there's potential for some uh, great matches there. They had a feud a few years ago, and the matches were surprisingly uh, – I shouldn't say they're surprisingly good. I, I should say their, their chemistry was surprisingly good. They really meshed well together, so I'd be happy to see that uh, again. Kevin, uh, uh, and, any thoughts on, on um, this latest – I don't know if it's a reboot. It, it, you, you could call it kind of a desperation tactic, but it's also one that makes a lot of sense in, in a lot of ways. Specifically, well, Roman, I guess start with Roman generally. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good idea. Like Brian said, kind of overdue. Um, but it's the shot in the arm his character needed. And I think, you know, at some point we'll see him be a fan favorite again. But I, I mean, I keep thinking of The Rock. People just couldn't stand him because he was shoved so much down their throats, right? And then now here's Roman Reigns. Okay, they're finally going to give in and turn him heel. Granted, it took a lot longer. But um, I think long term, this is great for him. And certainly short term, it's it's more entertaining. And I mean, in terms of who challenges him, I mean, it, it is pretty wide open. I could I could certainly see Big E doing it. Uh, Matt Riddle's also getting a little bit of a, a, a rub there. So maybe him. I think Big E is maybe more of a, a, a feel good story, especially with both of his teammates being sidelined. And, you know, it's kind of years in the making. Like he's he's had the potential to be a single star, but he's been focused on tag team competition. So like now he actually has, I mean, he's almost forced into it, but of course has the blessing of his teammates. 
I think that's a cool story, whether or not that can be played out all the way to uh, WrestleMania. I mean, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be a question of a bit. Maybe it doesn't have to be is another thing. I mean, it could be a few months from now, but, I, but personally I see the way Roman is now and he's just starting, especially aligning himself with Heyman to uh, really catch his stride. So I see him holding the title for a while here. You're going to have some rematches. He's going to be you know, defending it obviously against the fiend against Braun Strowman. Um, so in, in that way you have a while to get to him uh, against Big E. I'm just curious how they keep Big E viable that entire time. And I, I'm yeah. not saying it can't be done, but um, the company has not been as good at this long-term storytelling the past few years. So that's a concern. Do, do, uh, uh, Brian, do you think uh, Big E's singles push is uh, off to a good start? How, how would you sort of evaluate what they've done so far? I do. And I wanted to say even part of the bigger picture, um, I put a, a tweet out on the PWI Twitter just because I felt so strongly about it that I thought payback was such a step in the right direction in terms of giving these singles pushes to guys that need it and having established guys really doing the honors. Like, I, I really think that's that's so important. And so what happened with Sheamus and Big E is, is sort of like the beginning, I think, of something really good. I think the, the answer to the question of how do they keep him hot over that time is keep doing w- what they did. Like, like, he can go through several people like Sheamus where it's like, oh, my God, Big E just beat blank. Like, th- they can keep doing that. Um, and keep him strong. I, I always felt like he was, and I mean, this is not some unique opinion, but he was the guy out of New Day that that had the most potential um, as a major main event um, star. I, I think it's it's definitely time. I think if they if they really handle it right, and that's a big if, like we talk about all the time, that that really could be your WrestleMania main event. I mean, you know, there was buzz talking about like trying to get The Rock to come back. And face him, face Roman Reigns. I don't even think they need him. If, if they, I mean, yeah, it would be great, but I don't think they need him. If, if they handle it right, that could be a huge WrestleMania main event. Not tomorrow, but by the time they get to WrestleMania, that could be really, really big. I, I would love to see that, you know, something new, something different, right? That's what we always criticize them for not doing. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I was going to bring up uh, uh, The Rock. Uh, I guess there was another little bit of an exchange between Roman and, and The Rock. Uh, but that was uh, with the assumption that it would take place in California as it's uh, it was originally planned. I'd say that's very tenuous uh, right now. If I, I can't see, you know, what are we, uh, seven, eight months away from WrestleMania? Um, 70,000 people packed in a stadium even then. Uh, so, so I don't think it'll quite be another performance center WrestleMania, but it might be a Thunderdome WrestleMania, um, in, in which case I, I just don't see The Rock uh, participating in something like that. Uh, but even, you know, John Cena, you know, th- at one time that was as marquee a match as there was John Cena and Roman Reigns. They kind of wasted it on some off-brand pay-per-view several years ago. I remember uh, with, I don't know if you guys even remember them doing that, uh, but, but it was, it, it was a throwaway. Uh, and and a real shame, but but that's a WrestleMania uh, a main event. Not in, in that case, I think you put Roman over pretty pretty strongly because John Cena is not the long term solution. But it's a marquee match uh, for sure. But uh, yeah, I'd like to see um, where do they go with with Biggie. I think he's uh, in you know for, for the time, uh, especially in in interesting 
a case, potentially a real inspirational uh, story. And putting all that aside, just the guy who more has more than earned a shot, uh, if, if nothing else. And maybe it doesn't work out. Uh, um, but yeah. but you know, how many years does he have now in in the company? It's got to be uh, ten years. Uh, um, I don't know if it's quite that long, but but I remember uh, back in WrestleMania 29 here in in New York, he was like Dolph Ziggler's second, right? And that was uh, 2013. So that's seven years ago. Yeah, and and not getting any younger. I mean, if if nothing else, that's one thing that uh, is so like evident is WWE needs to uh, uh, go with some youth right now. You know, e- even like these these new acts that they're pushing the Matt Riddles and the big E's in the world. You're talking guys who are in their mid thirties, mid to late thirties. Uh, so, uh, even if you went all the way with them right now, you wouldn't get that long a run before those guys are, you know, they joined that 40 club. So, uh, but still it's, it's better than, than the folks already in the, the 40 club. Uh, anyhow, let's shift to the PWI 500. That's why we're all together, um, to talk here. Uh, Kevin, before we, we go into the top 10, uh, I want to ask you about putting together your, your first PWI 500. You, you've been involved with them uh, in, in the past as a writer. This year, uh, you took the helm, and it's a different PWI 500, I think unapologetically so, right? I mean, there, there's uh, uh, it, 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 for from a lot of different angles, who we ranked, who we didn't rank, what we prioritized. Uh, it, it's got a different feel than past years. Can you talk a bit about that experience? Yeah, well, I mean, for starters, it was it was stressful. It was it was difficult. Um, Stu had asked me before we knew that I was going to be taking over his role. Um, essentially, if I wanted to take over Dan's role, Dan Murphy, who has been at the helm of this for I mean, I, how many years? At least a decade, right? Probably closer to two decades. Yeah. Um, and what Dan did, I mean, we have these meetings. I don't think there's really any secret of this. We don't compile the entire 500 in one or two sittings. It's done over a period of time. And somebody does really have to take the initiative to group, especially the back half of the list where there's so much research involved. Um, you really do have to keep an awareness of what's going on. And I had been working very hard to do that this year, keeping an eye on uh, more international promotions, more independent promotions. You know, it, it is difficult, but I think you'll see some of that in the list. You'll see some of these people who have never been ranked before, um, who had become more prominent, whether it's through Twitter buzz or, uh, appearances at big, um, eye pay-per-views, if that term is even still used. But, um, yeah, I, it was, it was a lot to take on, um, with what was technically my first solo issue. Stu had, I consulted with him a couple of times, but I mean, purely on his own time, asked him a couple questions. Hey, what do you think about this? And graciously, Stu was, you know, very willing to 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 talk to me uh, whenever I did have a question. But the first time he was not here for any of it, you know. So it, it was personally, it was it was stressful, but I mean, rewarding. I, it's the list by and large has gotten a, a pretty positive response. There's uh, number one choice was. Uh, you know, divisive, like it kind of always is. It's almost never, even when we think this is okay, everyone's going to love this because clearly this is the number one person. <laughs> there are a lot of people who beg to differ because there, there's a lot of weight put on that. Um, I don't know if I can hit all your points there. Yeah, no, I, I think, think it's funny. When I, uh, I see Brian's got his mouth full, so I don't want to ask him I'm, too much. But I'm, gonna take this, I'm okay. I'm good. <laughs> 
this is your, your your first year with really a seat at the table for for the PWI uh, 500. Um, sort of broadly looking at at the list, what's your big takeaway from it? You're asking me. Yes, you. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I I think that. Um it's different than it's been in the past. And I mean that in a positive way. Like, like I know one of the concerns that people had um, when you're going to change up a list in this way and approach it in a different way is that, you know, are people going to get left off that deserve to be there? Or is it going to be, you know, manipulated in a way that people are higher than they, than they deserve to be. And I really don't think any of that has happened. I think it's very fair. I think it was very, thoughtfully done, I think. And this is not a knock on Stu and people that worked really, really hard on it in years before, but I think it's a big improvement. I really do. And, and I can't, I can't really, uh, I, I will say now I'm going to use this platform to say that I campaigned for Chris Jericho to be number one, but so I'm one of those, I'm one of those uh, people that will take issue with the number one. You're never going to uh, please everybody, but I'm very, very happy with the, the way that it panned out. And I think the top choice is, 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 a, is a very solid choice. Meeting yeah. John Moxley. And so let's talk about it. Uh, uh, number one uh, this year, John Moxley. Uh, you you talked. There have been years and now. I, this is now my thirteenth PWI five hundred, I think. Um, and uh, there have been years where it's been, uh, uh, you know, everybody's in agreement right away. Uh, you come to the table, and it's the most obvious thing in the world who number one is. There have been uh, years where there's been a lot of infighting, uh, and even. You know, after publication, I think some some second guessing uh, by by some people <laughs> them is uh, about who was uh, a number one, and and then some I'd say most are somewhere in between. I feel like uh, you know, thinking back to that first meeting, certainly some different names came up, but I think we all felt pretty good about John Moxley uh, at the end of the day following uh, the criteria. Uh, so. Kevin, how, how do you think he holds up among all the PWI 500 uh, winners in the past? How does John Moxley fit in there? So I think he's a slightly more controversial choice. Like if you have to group into, and this is only after seeing the reaction to this, because I thought he was a pretty safe choice when we went. I thought him. so too. But people have rightly pointed out that AEW is this new entity. And even though, We've embraced it and looked at it as, I mean, the number two wrestling promotion in the world. There are a lot of people out there who are still, you know, pretty skeptical of it. That You know, they, this is a new brand. Um, there are people who are at the top of the card there who couldn't cut the mustard elsewhere or were, you know, lost in the mix elsewhere. Um, you know, that's not entirely true. I mean, it's, it's arguable it's not true at all. Um, but that perception is out there. And I think some people were reacting to that. Now, some people saying things like Moxley shouldn't even be in the top 10. Like, come on. I mean, yeah. he's he's the top star in this company. Um, and not to give too much away about this clip, but I, I was editing a clip yesterday from the meeting where we are deciding on um, the top five. And when it comes to the top spot and we're debating the merits of Adam Cole, who was also you know, pretty decently in consideration for the number one spot versus John Moxley. Um, John Moxley, at least in the opinion of the group overall, seemed to 
mean more to AEW than anybody did to WWE. And Adam Cole, of course, was meant the world to NXT, but what did that mean in the grand scheme of things with WWE? So I mean, looked at from that viewpoint, I think in a couple of years, people are going to say, no, that was Adam Cole's year. He should have he should have won. But I think we're going to stand by John Moxley. Um, where he ranks in the overall echelon, I, I think he'll still be considered a controversial choice. Yeah, I, I think, you know, sometimes that lag between when we put the list together and, uh, you know, first there's the lag from when we put the list together until we're ready to put the, the magazine out. And then there's that lag time of when it comes out. So by the time you see the list, uh, well, I mean, we, we picked him back in, I guess it would have been early July, late June, right? When we met to discuss it. And uh, this thing's not going to be a new stance at this point until mid-September, something like that. September right. I mean, already available yeah. digital. OK, so yeah. late September. So it's a, it's a big lag. I actually think this is a year where it holds up better. Um, you know, I think Adam Cole has and and granted, this doesn't mean a whole lot because we're working within um, uh, an, an evaluation period. But I think Adam Cole has sort of decidedly uh, moved down uh, a couple of notches in NXT. That may change by tomorrow when they they crowned a new NXT uh, champion that could be Adam Cole. Um and John Moxley, I think, has really sort of solidified um, his spot as the top guy uh, in AEW and one of the top guys um, in, in the company. It's a few more uh, title defenses under his belt. So I, I think Moxley holds up uh, uh, really well, actually. And like you said, you're always going to have the naysayers. Inevitably, the discussion ends up being about or, or our uh, debate with, with the naysayers always points to the criteria. It's not a popularity contest. This is not uh, who's the best worker, who's got the best matches. Um, you know, th the shorthand used to be for so long, it's a kayfabe list. I think it, it's more complex than that. Uh, you know, and, and that's, that's one very simplified way of explaining it. But uh, I guess a better way of saying is it, it's a combination of who was booked the best, who delivered the most in that spot, you know, um, and I think in, in all that criteria, uh, Moxley was uh, the, the clear number one a choice. I also think, you know, my my take uh, in the magazine and um, a, a few of us have our, our takes. I talked about sort of like uh, all current events and world events sort of converging uh, this year. And, and one of the things we had to take into consideration was the pandemic and how it affected um, wrestlers uh, activity uh, and in a roundabout way I think that kind of helped Moxley uh, a little bit because um, AEW not running house shows was going to hurt whoever was at the top of the, the cards there because they weren't going to be you know think about John Cena at his uh, in his prime when he was like the guy and the champion he was working four or five matches a week so in in a a year when we were uh, looking at you know his, his sort of resume for the year there'd be 200 matches uh and and odds are he won 90 percent of them right and so uh, it was so hard to compete with with anyone uh now it was more of kind of a level playing field because it really became about what you did on tv every week and, and uh on big matches and pay-per-views and in that sense moxley was head of, uh, and shoulders above everyone else and that has a lot to do with how he was booked wwe just isn't booking stars that strong anymore where they're, you know, I think they're doing a good job with McIntyre, but that came halfway through the evaluation period. Moxie has not lost a match 
since he debuted in AEW. I think there was a tag match that he lost. He didn't take the pinfall, but has not lost a singles match here or in uh, Japan. So to me, it was a, a slam dunk. Well, Moxley did uh, lose a couple of singles matches in that G1 Climax, but he, but overall, and since his AEW debut, I believe has not lost a singles match. But uh, your point stands, and I and I think the lack of house shows really did level the playing field. But I, I mean, I think that has some implications for the long term as well, because one, I don't, if we see house shows in the future, one, it's not going to be for a, a long time, um, and two, uh, I mean we're not going to see nearly as many of them. You know, the, the cards are going to be limited. The prestige of those shows is going to be limited. Um, and I, I would wager that by the time they do come back, if they do at all, that they're going to be a lot less influential on our ratings. We're going to look at them as more of an afterthought than we may have before. I mean, I think they can be used, they can be valuable in some ways. Uh, but I mean, they're certainly not as important to the business as they were. I don't know. I mean, that's probably something we're going to have to discuss a little more when it when it actually happens. But if I had to make a prediction now, I think this is the beginning of the end of uh, WWE having that advantage. I, I really think um, it's going to be based more on these these prominent events and weekly television shows. But I'd, I'd be interested to hear what you guys think about that. Well, yeah. even yeah. I mean, WWE themselves have maybe, I guess, for like the last at least 20 years have been acting like house shows don't even exist. So it's like, you know, there's never any title changes. There's never any major storylines, you know, basically ever since they went to a, a, a monthly pay-per-view model, which is probably like mid 90s, the house shows have really just been it's just like the roadshow equivalent. It, it's sort it's, you know what I mean? It's like going to see the circus or something. Uh, in, in fact, I mean, I, I've met a lot of casual fans who a didn't even know that there were house shows. They had no idea that they were non-televised shows. And, and these are people that watch raw every week and B uh, bought a ticket to go to one and didn't even know what they were getting into and thought like they were going to be on TV. So, I mean, that's yeah. how little profile the house shows have come. It sort of breaks my heart a little bit because, like, I'm a big fan of house shows. We've talked about this, Al. I love going to house shows. I kind of wish they'd do more with them. Like, they'd ha they'd actually change titles now and then to make people feel like they're missing out, you know. But, I mean, it is the reality. That how it, It's treated like if, – if you look at it like what's in canon and what's not in canon, you know, like the way yeah. people talk about Star Wars and things like that, the house shows are not in canon. It's It's almost like – they never happened, you know, except on the rare occasions when when they did and they have a camera there at ringside, which is almost never. So, I mean, I, yeah, I, I kind of agree with that, that, that maybe it's time to just have it be based on what's, you know, on television. I, I kind of, you know, I, it, it, it may be time to finally do that. I, I do want to bring up, though, one one unrelated thing related to these criteria of judging for number one. None of this explains to this day how Dean Malenko was the number one in the <laughs> 500. I'm scratching my head to this day on that one. I just want to put it out there. And, and now well, we I don't think we had all the same criteria. I don't even know if we, I mean, there was certainly an evaluation period uh, and there was a win-loss record. Uh, I don't know. I'll send you to stew on that one. I'll, I'll give you. Sorry. It certainly, wasn't, as, so it certainly wasn't um, as public or as finely tuned. Um, and obviously this predates me by a long time, but I mean, even Stu, I, I think, would say it likely should have been Masala who won that year, um, but yeah, certainly not yeah. Malenko. I, and that's no Malenko, I mean, Malenko, 
one of the best technical wrestlers of all time. That's no knock against yeah. him, but but since when is that the criteria for number one? It's uh, right. Eh. I feel like that year for some reason it was the main criteria. I don't. It know. was yeah. It obviously. was. I, I can't. Um, I can't imagine. No matter how great a worker, you know, a guy that's. I love him. He's great. I I I I love him personally. He's a great guy. He's a funny guy. But but a guy that's not even a main eventer to be number one. That was just really really strange. But. Anyway, yeah, he's on my uh, my my wish list as a podcast uh, guest, and uh, I've got well, a line. It's a good way to so. get him on by saying, <laughs> yeah. You, you, yeah, he is the biggest shock to me when I was working at WWE is how funny he is. I hear that a lot. Yeah. He never got allowed to be funny. He is like like an old time like Borscht Belt comedian. Like he's got one liners. He, he's like a Bobby Heenan. Guy. I mean, he's not fun, that funny, but I mean, he's hilarious. He's legitimately funny. Yeah, you, we should get him on. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I, I wrote an obituary for a wrestler that he trained, and ended up talking on the phone with him a few months ago. So um, maybe I'll follow up with him and, and see about doing that. Uh, okay, let's work our way down uh, the list. Uh, John Moxley's number one. Who is number two, Kevin? Number two is Adam Cole. I think we I, we alluded heavily to that if we didn't <laughs> outright say. Yeah, yeah, and and that was uh, I don't know if it was a huge debate, but but it, it certainly. It's something that we had to uh, talk about and kind of uh, work out. Adam Cole had a hell of the year. He was our wrestler of the year for 2019 in the uh, Achievement Awards. Uh, why don't you take a, talk a bit about the year that he had, Kevin? Well, of course, I mean, he was he was NXT this year. So NXT became, it's the cliche that people will try it out, but NXT presented itself as no longer being a developmental brand, even if on some level that is, of course, still true. Um, especially with the non-televised events as they, they occurred. Um, Adam Cole and Undisputed Era were, were the, the cornerstone of the, the, the show. And Adam Cole had the NXT Championship the entire evaluation period, beat anybody who, who faced him, uh, essentially. I mean, he had a couple of, couple of losses in non-title matches. Uh, I believe he had a singles win over Daniel Bryan. There was just incredible work in the ring, incredibly charismatic. Really just, if Moxley had had even a slightly worse year, I think Cole would have been an easy choice for, for number one. Um, but, you know, unfortunately for him, um, and he did <laughs> and he did chime in on Twitter, actually. Uh, he he uh, retweeted, actually, the uh, of all things, the clip of Chris Jericho calling me a moron and the uh, 500 cover <laughs> being, so being shown on Dynamite. And he said something to the effect of, number two, huh? Okay, see you next year. Um, yeah. Number one, baby. And uh, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I mean, he, he's had a rough start, but I mean, it's still pretty early in the evaluation period for next year. Uh, but I think I, I really think it's hard to argue with having him in that that number two spot. I mean, he, he, he really did deserve it. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, you, you touched on it. But but to me, what really uh, uh, solidified uh, his year and obviously he had the title the whole the whole year, as you talked talked about but it was that build up to uh, survivor series and it wasn't just his work uh, um on the the main brand uh, the main brands where he was showing up on raw and smackdown uh, every week working with aj styles working with daniel bryan and and just being the mvp night after night including through that weekend where i think he worked friday on smackdown saturday on takeover and then sunday on survivor series and had like the best match on every night um i, I thought that was really sort of his uh, arrival uh, in a way um, Brian, what do you think of, of the year that he had? And maybe start things working 
anything against him. I mean, for better or for worse, the reality is he is uh, among the smaller top guys, not just in the business right now, but but in history. Uh, you know, just just you, you know the the whole cliche about a guy who uh, superstars being uh, people you see in the airport and they're larger than life. You could walk right by Adam Cole at an airport and not think anything. You know, you might be taller than him if if, if you did. Uh, so how much does that work against him? To me, it doesn't work against him at all for something like this, um, because I kind of go by what, what you had mentioned before too, where for me, it's most about, um, how is somebody positioned? How are they being pushed? Where are they at on the card? You know, how dominant are they? I think that's, the most important thing to look at. And and with Cole, for me, I, I, I was happy with him being number two. I know there was a lot of talk amongst us about making him number one. The biggest strike for me is that, again, it comes back to positioning because as, as amazing as the NXT brand is now and how it's grown and it's become more than a developmental, I cannot, I, I don't think, well, I don't think any of us would argue that the NXT title is the top title in WWE. And so to have somebody at the very number one who didn't hold the top title in their company, I would have a problem with that. That that was my big thing for him. I, I, I love seeing him get as high as he got, but number one would have been just too too much for me to justify personally for that reason. Yeah, agreed. Uh, who is number three, Kevin? Well, at number three, we have uh, Brian's pick for number one and the guy who, who rightly or wrongly, Maybe rightly called me a moron, Chris Jericho. <laughs> uh, yeah, a, a, a heck of a year for for Jericho. Started, um, you know, his AEW uh, uh, run really began in the previous evaluation period. I don't think he was active enough active enough for for us to rank him at all last year. I remember uh, Dan discussing that with him on Jericho's podcast. He had Dan on to talk about the 500. So he goes from being unranked to being number three. Um, and again, I I, I think. Some of um, the well, well, by our criteria, he was active enough, right? I mean, he he did work enough matches, probably still a lot less than, you know, top WWE guys or NXT guys uh, on the list. But uh, this was as busy a year as Jericho's had in a long, long time. Yeah, it absolutely was. And I mean, essentially, AEW did need someone established and who was already a big star on their own merit to to build the the company around i mean as its first champion as its top heel uh leader of the inner circle so many other things chris jericho was that i mean you even look at the jericho cruise being this big fan event for aew that wound up producing all this this content for television i hate calling things content i don't know why i use that but uh <laughs> but matches for television yeah, and segments too. thank you Kevin. um but uh yeah he was i mean had he not lost the title to Moxley, or I think I said this during our, our meeting as well, had he even beaten him the first time out and then lost the title to him, I think we could have been looking at a, a very different number one. Um, Jericho had, in many ways, and I and I don't want to, I, I, th- I know Brian has some thoughts about this, in many ways the best year of his career. Um, and I think in a lot of... Uh, slightly altered universes he could have been a good pick for number one yeah and and at you know uh i don't know if he's turned 50 yet but i think this is the year that he does turn 50 uh to be having this kind of run um at this point and and different than like let's say a pco 
who was sort of, uh, you know, only achieved a, a certain height throughout his career and then uh, at that 50 mark really exploded. Jericho's been, you know, he had a Hall of Fame worthy uh, uh, career uh, before this run. So he's a guy who already was at the top and, and not just from a character standpoint or a promo standpoint, but athletically was doing incredible stuff throughout his career. And now uh, around 50, where the reality is, uh, you know, physically he can't do what he used to do. He had to change his style. And in doing so is still one of the best in the world. I mean, reinvented himself uh, in, in a way where he could still outperform uh, wrestlers half his age that can, can work a style that he can't, uh, anymore, still uh, at the very top of the sport. Uh, super, super impressive. Not number one, but uh, maybe maybe the most impressive um, story, impressive year of anybody in the top ten. Yeah, I think he did have the best year of his career, and and I mean that as an overall thing. Like like I wouldn't argue that you know definitely not in match quality. I mean, in, when he was younger, sure. I mean, yeah, he could do more, but I mean, in the overall package and also, like I've said, like we said before, in the way he was positioned and, you know, I, I wrote my lockup column about that a couple of issues ago. You know, it's the first time in all these years that he has been, or was at the time, the top guy in any company. I mean, even when he was WWE champion, or world champion, he was not the top guy. Like there were people that were positioned higher than him. So I really do think, you know, this, this was his year as incredible as it sounds for his age and everything. I also want to say that I think Jericho just has a history of, 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 of enjoying poking fun at things that are written about him in magazines. Cause I will say, I remember we used to have a feature called fantasy warfare when I, when I was at, at raw magazine where we would pit current stars against stars from the past and we had this idea, well, we can't have the current guys win every time because it's so predictable. So we, we every once in a while they had to lose. So we had Jericho against Ricky Steamboat and we had Ricky Steamboat go over. He went nuts. He emailed everybody. Uh, he emailed the editors like, you know, in, in promo style, tearing us apart, calling us ass clowns and all that stuff for putting him for, for making him lose to Ricky Steamboat. It was just we couldn't believe it was really happening. We like, Is this really happening? Is Chris Jericho cutting an email promo on us for fantasy warfare? I mean, he's just a cool guy. And I, I, just, I just think that it, I mean, just on a personal level, he deserves to have a year like this. He's he's a good, decent, cool guy. And, and it's good that that happened for him. So just like to add, um, I don't want to spend too long on Jericho because we want to at least get through the, the top 10 here. But one great thing about him is that he continually pushes himself to do new things, right? I mean, he has so Fozzie, against all odds, Fozzie became this, and, I, and I, not a knock on Fozzie's music, but they've been around a while. And then all of a sudden, they're, they're a big radio band. They play these, these mm-hmm. big festivals, maybe sometimes when they shouldn't, <laughs> Sturgis, but... Um, <laughs> You know they have they have they have hit hit songs. I mean, like it's it's unbelievable that he would be able to do that while still being so successful as a wrestler. And then he went over to Japan, was a big deal there. He made Tanahashi tap out. I mean that that is a big deal. Um, and I mean in some ways, I mean to to tie it back to to Japan. I mean he talk about reinventing himself and and, and uh, you know adjusting his style. Um, it kind of reminds me of what Great Muta did as Keji Muto later in his career. I mean, he, yeah, he couldn't do um, as many moonsaults. He couldn't move around the ring as fast. So, like, you know what? I'm going to do more of a, a striking style, more of a slightly MMA-based style. That's that's what Muta did anyway. 
And Jericho has done the same thing. I mean, he, he invents a new finisher every couple of years or, or at least adopts one. Um, and he continually finds ways to change and step up his game and do things differently. And at this point in his career, he could absolutely coast and still do very well. And the fact that he chooses, chooses not to do that is why he's so great. Yeah, agreed. I'll, I'll add one more. I remember interviewing him uh, a few years back when he had just started his podcast and sort of asking him, like, you know, why are you getting into the, the podcasting business? You know, where, where's the money to be made? Uh, any of that? And he was ahead of all of it, you know, and, and he saw that there was a, a potential there uh, that I think a lot of people hadn't seen. And look all these years later, how big that podcast is, how uh, uh, important it's been for the wrestling industry when you think about the the John Moxley interview and and so many others, um, he, he was at the forefront of that. So yeah, a guy who's just absolutely even at 50 years old, uh, still uh, a pioneer. Um, who is number? What do we have to four? Number four is Drew McIntyre, which, if anything, speaks to the unconventional nature of this year. The guy who wins the Royal Rumble and then goes on to win the WWE Championship at WrestleMania is in so many other years a lock to be the number one in the 500 and he's number four you know so that that says so much about how the landscape has changed um i think one of the things working against mcintyre being higher and really the main thing is that the first half of his year wasn't all that great he had a lot of uh, it's house shows but he was losing at house shows constantly he was a, a kind of a middling performer in terms of wins and losses anyway on raw um, but you know, he showed, he showed something, he showed the thing that made WWE want to, uh, to sign him again in the first place. Um, I believe for the third time, right. He was, I think he was released twice in the past. You said, um, uh, but yeah, it's best year of his career, um, in the last, you know, the first six months of the year, essentially. So I think. Had his push started a little bit earlier, he could be a little bit higher. But I think number four is is just about right for him. Yeah, I I, uh, I agree that I think timing had a lot to do with it. Um, you know, we talked about Big E, and if they keep this trajectory on uh, with Big E, uh, and let's say he wins the Rumble and and wins the World Title at WrestleMania, come uh, PWI 500 time next year, he, he'd definitely be a contender. Uh, for for number one, but this wasn't a slow burn with Drew McIntyre. It sort of came out of nowhere. I mean, the first half of the year, as you touched on, uh, wasn't he losing matches to like uh, uh, Ricochet and on house shows? I mean, he was he was in the mid card. He was low on the card, and then it was just like somebody had this epiphany. What if we go all the way with with uh, Drew McIntyre? And you certainly uh, get it. Great looking guy, tall, muscular, can talk, can work. Um, you know, but but that's been true for years. And it seems like, you know, it was it wasn't until January before they kind of uh, had had that realization over there. And since then, uh, you know, you really feel for the guy. We've talked about this uh, a lot, Brian, um, doing everything right, I think, on his part. And I, I think that the, the booking of him has been pretty solid as well. He just happens to be the the, the pandemic champion. Right. So uh, he is he is yet to get a crowd pop as um, the the top guy, the heavyweight champion. And so I think it's sort of limited. Um, I don't know if limited is the world, but it, 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 it I can't think of like another situation where 
however many months into a title reign that is already fairly long because so often that WrestleMania uh, uh, title run, even for top babyface guys, you kind of make it to SummerSlam and then maybe you lose it at SummerSlam or around SummerSlam and you're back on the chase and you get it back. He's made it through all those pay-per-views, including SummerSlam, just getting clean win after clean win after clean win, putting over that, that Claymore kick a strong uh, and yet, even all these months later, it feels like the jury's still kind of out. Is is this working, you know? Yeah, it's a... Uh, I'm sorry, um, Kevin, did you want to jump in? I saw you put your hand up. Uh, well, I think that uh, it, it goes back to that whole shadow, that cloud that's over everything, right? We don't yeah. really know how things are registering. I think somebody mentioned it before. It might have been Rosenberg on the on the pre-show. He said... He compared the Roman Reigns thing with Bob with Paul Heyman to Andre the Giant and Bobby Heenan. And I think, I mean, I wouldn't put it there, but if it had been in front of a live audience, I think you're talking about like a major memorable moment, like a oh my God, like looking back years later kind of a moment. And it wasn't quite that, right? Because of that. But I think Drew McIntyre, right, he's the pandemic champion. I, I think the big and the biggest difference now, because Kevin, like you were saying, how much the landscape has changed and how a guy in his position would have been a lock for number one. I think we have to remember, you know, there were years where with the where WWE main brand, Ron SmackDown, was for all intents and purposes the only show in town. I mean, you had TNA, you had Ring of Honor, but they were like distant seconds, really. And so they were so dominant. Now you've got NXT, the NXT brand. You've got AEW, which is like in the past year is a bigger deal than TNA Impact ever was, honestly. And so, you know, they do, it's not their roost, their, their roost to rule anymore. So I, I think there's just a, a, a wider field. There's more competition. And winning WrestleMania and the Royal Rumble and all that is no longer a lock to make you number one, but which is probably a good thing. You know, it keeps it interesting. Yeah, I think that that's one of my big takeaways of, of the 500 this year. I know Harry wrote about it in, in his take. Um, you know, this sort of the year that WWE really kind of gave up that that grip, that stronghold on um, certainly the top 10, but even the whole 500. I mean, there's really, like you touched on, that, that the, the top WWE star uh, isn't ranked until four is uh is is really telling and there's there's a lot more parody on this list than probably since wcw was around uh and maybe even more so because even back then it was really a, a two companies and and now it's um several with part of it is 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 us kind of giving the respect due to new japan um that even though new japan's had better years than they have in in, in the last year uh, and NXT really kind of coming on strong is more than just the developmental and AEW. But even, you know, NWA does pretty well on this list. Um, MLW, uh, kind of a non-factor other years, is in the mix in, in the top 100. So uh, uh, really a fascinating year. I would even add on to that. Um, a lot of the independents are being at a higher level. And part of that is uh, having the ability to stream their events through whether that's through the IWTV channel or through fight um gcw is game changer wrestling is is huge right now as far as uh the independent circuit goes uh a couple of really big promotions in the midwest freelance wrestling black label pro uh glory pro you've got a lot of major independents so i mean you see some indie wrestlers who are probably a lot higher on the list than they may have been in previous years um, you know, these, these are interesting times and I, and I think 
you also have an opportunity for some of those wrestlers to step up because there was inactivity. I mean, you had WWE and AEW running, but for a while, uh, New Japan was not running. For a shorter period of time, All Japan was not running. Um, and a few of the other Japanese major promotions. Uh, you know, Lucha Libre has been completely shut down for months in Mexico. Yeah. So that's that's been a huge gap. And when you look at all that, and I mean, even these major promotions that you mentioned, the NWAs and MLWs and Ring of Honors of the world, I mean, those were largely shut down as well. So um, while it can be argued that maybe some of these smaller independents shouldn't have been running shows when they were for safety reasons they did and i mean from an in-ring standpoint we had to recognize that yeah uh who is number five this year so number five speaking of uh, unfortunate situation uh due to COVID 19 is tetsuya naito um this was an incredible year for him he had two reigns with the iwgp intercontinental championship but more importantly, he won both championships, the two main singles titles in New Japan, the IWGP Intercontinental and Heavyweight Championships, which we now deem a world championship. Um, back-to-back nights at Wrestle Kingdom, he beat Jay White, and then he beat Okada in the main event of night two. Um, looked like he was going to have a really nice run there, and then shortly after that, I mean, he had one defense, I think, and then it shut down. Um and then, of course, after everything started back up, lost the title in, in very quick fashion to Evil, which kind of fell out of nowhere. Granted, Evil won the New Japan Cup tournament. Um, what is interesting in these rankings is Evil's somewhere in the 100s. I mean, he did not have the best year of his career. And then, you know, at the end of the evaluation period, he won that tournament. He won both of those championships. He's since lost them back. Right. Um, Spoiler if you're not caught up <laughs> on New <laughs> right. Japan, but I mean, it's a few, at least a few days old at this point. Um, but yeah, I think Naito had everything been normal. He could have, or had this happened. I think another thing when we were discussing this that you pointed out, maybe even before the actual official meeting is new Japan didn't have the cultural cachet that it's had in previous years anyway. And a lot of that is because, um, AEW has risen up as this major competitor to WWE. So New Japan is still a really big deal, Um, huge deal. But they've lost some stars and they've lost some star power with that. So I think had this happened a couple of years ago with Naito capturing both titles at the biggest show of the year, I mean, really internationally the second biggest wrestling show of the year, period. Um, Yeah, he he could have done even better. but, But as it stands and... Given the circumstances of this year, I think nothing wrong with being number five. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree that Naito is probably affected as as anyone on this list by um, the pandemic. And, and some of that is a, um, a testament to New Japan uh, maybe uh, uh, handling this better than, than other promotions and, and being a lot more cautious and shutting everything down, even when uh, the situation in Japan was uh, a lot safer than, than here in the United States. Um, they they weren't playing any games, and they they absolutely waited until they felt it was safe to put on um, some shows. But because of that, uh, you know, Naito's uh, momentum just came to a, a grinding halt by by March, and they didn't pick up again until uh, July or August. I think they started uh, running shows again, but it was past the the. It was the end. Of, it was it was the end of June that the New Japan Cup tournament started, but Naito right, right. was not. But back even in then. Place. 
Right, yeah. because essentially the, the the cup was to decide his next uh, challenger. So he was still sitting at home uh, waiting to wrestle for like another month uh, past that. And as you touched on, then goes and loses um, the title uh, in his first match. Uh, so I think that all factors in. I think the other thing that factors in, and this really goes back years, right? There, there's been like those top guys in, in Japan, and it's been um, Okada. Um, at, at different times, it's been... Um, either Tanahashi or Omega. Uh, and then I feel like Naito's always been a rung below those guys, right? So in that top mix, but not at the very, very top. And over the years, you know, they've, they've put the title on him. And I feel like in doing that, there's, oh, and this is not a slight at all uh, against everything he brings to the table. I, I, I still think he's one of the most charismatic and talented uh, performers in the world. But, uh, up against guys like Okada and Omega and, and Tanahashi was always a kind of a notch uh, below. So them going all in with him um, uh, this year and that combining with the inactivity from the pandemic. And then I, th- and this didn't factor into um, his, his slot here because it was after the evaluation period, but just kind of bigger picture talking about his, his year, the questionable decision of going with evil for a one month title reign, just to put it back on, on Naito. Uh, I, I think his year has been kind of a hodgepodge, you know, that different than the, the consistency that we've had um, when Okada has been uh, at the top where, um, you know, it's just like you put the title on Okada, you're, you're guaranteed 18 star matches uh, every time uh, in the main event. Um, less so this year. We'll talk about that in in a moment. Uh, but what do you think about Naito's year, uh, Brian? Um, I think uh, again, sort of like we've said with some of the other guys, this was kind of like his best year to be ranked. So I think uh, he's kind of had the spotlight a little more to himself than he has in previous years. I also think it's interesting in general how I have to say, just looking at the whole arc of PWI rankings over the years. I think that New Japan in general, even though they're not maybe as high profile as they were, say, a couple of years ago, in general, these days, it, it, they're much more, these stars, guys guys like, like um, Okada and Tanahashi that we've mentioned and Naito, are, are much better known to average American wrestling fans than, than the New Japan stars were in years past, even when New Japan itself was a bigger deal in Japan than it is now. And so, like, these guys are, are very lucky to be at this time and at this place because when I think when the average American fan sees Naito's name in the top 10, they're going, yeah, he deserves to be there. Whereas, you know, years ago when, when PWI would have Japanese guys ranked high, there were a lot of American fans that, you know, they, they just knew about WWF and WCW and they'd go, who, who, who are these guys? You know, this, I don't even know who they are. And, I, and I, so I think they've benefited from that as well. There's better visibility, New Japan making inroads in the United States, both on television and in, in live events. So I think that benefited him as well. Yeah. Why don't we uh, more quickly go through the, the second half of, of the top 10, which go ahead and, and tell us six to 10. And then uh, maybe we could jump in with, with some thoughts about any of them. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, Appropriately at number six, we have Kazuchika Okada, who was the, well, uh, let me, you want me to just list them first and then we'll. Uh, yeah, if you want to make a quick remark about each of them, that's fine. Yeah, and then so, uh, I guess so, we'll talk about some of them further. So uh, Kazuchika Okada, who was the IWGP heavyweight champion through Wrestle Kingdom, some memorable title defenses, uh, previous number one in the 500, first Japanese native and uh, first uh, New Japan wrestler 
to top the uh, the 500 as well, or second New Japan wrestler to top the 500. I messed that up. Um, at number seven, we have Cody Rhodes, who, of course, uh, vice president and uh, huge deal in AEW in a lot of different ways. Number eight, we have Seth Rollins, who it's it might be easy to forget with the way he's he's been treated uh, lately, but he's he had some big wins and and world title reigns in the evaluation period. Number nine, Kofi Kingston, who again early in the period was a very big deal and a world champion. And then at number ten, we have AJ Styles, who until recently was Intercontinental Champion and had some other minor title reigns during the the evaluation period. Yeah. So my quick take, I think it's interesting that that there's quite a drop off from the the top half of the top 10 to the, the the bottom half where we are now sort of dealing with upper mid carders right other uh and and not top top uh elite stars um uh, of those uh okada uh, i think has had kind of probably his most challenging year so far or or maybe disappointing year um uh partly due to the pandemic but also you know, I think some questionable booking, and 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 he he just hasn't had the opponents that he's had in past years to really shine against. Uh, maybe that's a reflection of him being slotted in in the mid card where he's not working with those uh, top guys. Uh, but a little bit of, of uh, a letdown. Um, did want to talk about uh, Kofi Kingston, which was uh, the one name that when we put on the top ten, I anticipated would raise some eyebrows um, because you know last year I think he was number. Four, something like that. I mean, he was certainly in that, in that top five, uh, uh, rightfully so. I think some people would, would look at his um, his year uh, the, within the evaluation period and think, you know, really? Uh, but as you touched on, it, the evaluation period going July to July, there were uh, still a few months of his title reign through SummerSlam, uh, through him beating Randy Orton, getting some important wins early evaluation period as WWE champion the, the most important title uh, that you can hold really um, in, in the business. Um, and AJ Styles, I feel like has just kind of become a staple of the top 10, you know, doesn't sort of doesn't matter what he does. He is uh, universally respected as one of the very best um, in, in the world, whatever he's involved in. So uh, Brian, any thoughts on any of those names? I think it's interesting to look at them now and think, I think, well, I mean, I, I don't know if you agree with me, but for a lot of those guys, I think if we were doing a top 10 right now in this moment, they wouldn't have made it. I mean, no. you know, it, so it's interesting to see how, how quickly things change. And I think it's so important that readers and people listening do keep in mind the evaluation period, because I think people often don't consider that or they just sort of ignore it and they just think of like what's happening right now. You have to look at that evaluation period. And that's why, you know, I would stand by any of those choices just based on that. Uh, I mean, Kofi Kingston, you know, uh, yeah, I, I mean, he, he's had a huge drop off, probably the biggest drop off of any of those five guys that we mentioned. But during that period, you know, he deserved that spot. I mean, Seth, Roll- I, I wouldn't even put Seth Rollins in the top 10 now if we were doing a I top would. I, would, I, I think people are a little uh, unfairly harsh with with uh, uh, Seth. I think he is still, uh, you, you know, you can make an argument for him being the number two guy on on the Raw brand. Um, he, he's consistent. He's a star. He's um, now making a star or made a star out of uh, Dominic Mysterio. Yes. 
uh, I think he gets a little bit of, of, of too much of a, a hard time. A flawed, very flawed. Uh, but I think kind of moving into that AJ Styles role, too, where uh, he's just great in the ring. You know, I think a lot, a lot of that is people have personality issues with him, but the, the dude just delivers over and over again in the ring. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, credit needs to be given, of course, to Kingston on that that part. Kofi Kingston's been amazing for years. Um, one thing I do add real quick, not to, to uh, completely sidetrack, but I did have it right the first time when I said Okada was the first in Japan. Yes, Omega uh, number one. It was like, yeah, I I had that correct at first, and then I switched it. Um, they were back to back years, and I had difficulty, uh, you know, trust your gut basically. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, I think like we have. Uh, people who did well at different parts of the evaluation period, people who were, you know, Kofi was incredibly popular and uh, inspirational as the, the first black world champion WWE had had in many years and the first African born uh, world champion WWE had ever had. Um, Rollins, you know, lost a lot of matches, but at the same time he had those wins over Lesnar, I think two during the evaluation period. Um you know, and I mean, he's he's always a focal point of Raw, love him or hate him, and he and he and he gets it done. And similarly, you have AJ Styles who's doing that over on SmackDown now, um, and then you have you know Cody Rhodes. And I mean, what's worth mentioning here, I believe his TNT. We definitely discussed this at the time, but the yeah, it was it was right before the finals of the TNT title tournament. So that whole run was not even considered. I mean, this is largely. But I think the I think the win was because uh, I was remember, the win? remember putting okay. together the, no. the the top five uh, moments, and I remember the win being in there. I think it was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They, you're probably right, but uh, it's uh, it, obviously when we were actually compiling this, we were looking at the dates on yeah. these, and we had the meeting before, um, and then we're sussing out some of the details later. But I mean, certainly his his run defending that against all commerce was not taken into consideration. So, I mean, right. Yes. Pretty, pretty impressive without that for him to have still had this year based on his win loss record and his, his influence in the wrestling business. Yeah. I want to follow up on something Brian said about if, if, you know, essentially we were making the list uh, right now, because that makes me think about who is in the number 11 slot, um, who, uh, if I've got the list uh, correct, uh, at Keith Lee's number 11, right? Yeah, and I think Keith yes. Lee would easily be top ten if that Absolutely. evaluation. Period. This was before he even won the NXT title. Um, that that we had him at that eleven spot, and since then won the NXT title, just beat Randy Orton six minutes on on uh, Sunday night uh, clean. Uh, so uh, looking ahead to to next year, um, if things stay as as they are, I I think uh, he's got a fair chance of breaking into that that top ten spot. Anybody else? You think that if if we were putting together the list right now, would deserve a, a spot in the top 10 that isn't right now? I mean, Reigns jumps out because Reigns had, he was number 14. Um, and his, you know, he just, of course, won the Universal title. And he's, he's once again, the focal point of SmackDown. So I, I think him, somebody who I think would go lower, we have Brock Lesnar at 12. And I mean, just yeah. feeling more and more like a distant memory. And now, reportedly done with wwe which doesn't you know by itself mean anything but um yeah i i think like if we were doing this now he would be a lot lower so would would uh impact maybe uh uh be doing a little better i mean couldn't eddie edwards find his way into the top 10 so i don't know about the top 10 because it hasn't been that long of a range just yet 
But I will say that Impact did not fare super well over, overall in here. And that was that was not helped by the shutdown and the fact that um, Tessa Blanchard wasn't really able to have that memorable reign that she she almost certainly could have. Um, you know, and, and we tentatively had her a lot higher. And then the, did, with yeah. her future in question, we, we, we did move her lower. But even if you look at the other people who were, were on the list from Impact, I mean, the uh, Sammy Callahans and then, you know, from the X division, like the, the Willie Max and the Ace Austins. Um, I think those guys would, would, you know, not be top 10 necessarily, but they would be much higher because impact has this momentum now. And it's a lot of people think it's the best weekly show. Now, I mean, there's a lot of great wrestling out there. That's a tough discussion, but certainly the company's doing great. And, uh, you know, we, we, (laughs) there's this perception that we don't like impact at PWI, but I mean, we try to call it fairly. And when the, when the company is doing well, and wrestlers are doing well within the company, we want to recognize that. And I, I think even next year, you're going to see a big difference. I, I really agree. And and I think on any given week, um, yeah, you're right. Impact's got the best show on, on TV. Not every week, but sometimes they uh, they do. And um, it, it it just feels, you know, what we've wanted out of Impact for, for so long was for them to just settle on something that was um, uh, unique, different than, than WWE, uh, uh, not a copy. And uh, it does feel, you know, I, I think um, the losing Tessa Blanchard was sort of a, a blessing uh, and a curse uh, in that Tessa Blanchard was their, their calling card. And um, I don't want to call it a publicity stunt, but it was the one thing that you could point at that made them unique was they had the, the, the female heavyweight champion. Um, and then losing that, I think they were forced to look at, all right what do we have here? You know, what is our roster? Who are our top guys? And then the other thing that I think they, they benefited from was um, all the firings in WWE, which, which typically you would not advocate for, um, uh, uh, you know, the former TNA to just go pick up all these, these ex WWE guys and push them. But a lot of those were ex TNA guys first. And they were um, wrestlers who uh, I, I think a lot of fans thought didn't get a fair shake in WWE. So um, seeing, and Eric Young come back to Impact and get a push at the top and seeing, you know, what they're doing with the EC3, uh, it, it feels like they actually have a better grasp of um, the upside of some of these talents than, than WWE had. So, uh, yeah, I think, I, I don't know it, but but I think it's really possible to see Impact make a return to the top 10 uh, next year, um, you know, especially to get some fans back in, in the building at some point and, and liven up those shows. Uh, Brian, and, and any thoughts on, on Impact or, or any anybody else that, that maybe be, would would uh, uh, belong in the top 10 if we were putting it together right now? One person that I might consider, and I don't know, maybe I'll catch heat for this, and this is not going if, – if we go by just winning matches, and uh, maybe not so much, but in terms of how he's being positioned right now, I would be thinking about MJF as yeah. a possible low top 10 name. That's one that jumped yeah. out to me. Could could be the world champion by uh, uh, yeah. the end of the week, uh, and, and, and I mean, that'll certainly change things. Promos he's been doing, the whole I mean, top, just top notch, really good, really just he's carrying himself like a top guy right now, and he's performing that way just as an all around character. I, I think I mean, a lot of people have said this. I'm not the first one, but he has enormous potential he's so young like he's going to be a major major fixture for like the next 10 15 years for sure a, a couple names that that we haven't um brought up um who have held world titles 
not only since the end of the valuation period, but actually during the evaluation period, uh, Bray Wyatt, The Fiend, and Braun Strowman, neither of them made it to the top 10. And I don't know that they would now uh, either, you know. Um, I thought and, about and, The Fiend, but no. Yeah, I mean, his, his second title reign was uh, a week long. And, um, you know, I think the reality is in, in both their cases, there's there's just so much left to be desired uh, in their their work um, uh, in the ring. In in Braun's case, I think it it's partially uh, the limitations of being that big and still relatively new in the business. I mean, I don't know that he's got five years uh, wrestling. Uh, yeah. At, and and I think it's come a long way uh, in 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 those five years, uh, but still needs some some polishing, some uh, developing. And in uh, Bray Wyatt's case, I think it's just being saddled with that that character, which I I get that I, you know, I'm sure they're selling a lot of masks and and stuff like that, but I feel like in the ring it's such a hindrance, uh, and and that hurts him. Uh, um, one other thing, and I don't want to go too much longer. We're already over uh, an hour here, and we want to get to. John Moxley interview. Uh, but one thing I've heard from some some fans about, and, and uh, some of them a little confused, is uh, about how many women are on uh, the list this year. And I know we've talked about combining uh, or, or the, the, the the potential to one day combine the PWI uh, 500 and the women's 100. And there are some fans who think we already have. I had to clarify with them that we did not this year. Uh, but can you talk, uh, Kevin, a bit about what is different this year with the role of women on the 500? Yeah, I mean, it, it is confusing. I get why people are confused. Even after I first announced on Twitter, people were tweeting part of the larger thread, and I think that didn't help with the misunderstanding. So we could have certainly been clearer. Um, of course, I mean, you have women wrestlers who are certainly in WWE are among the top stars, if not the top stars. I mean, they're they're kind of anchoring the show at this point. Um, and if it were a merged list, I think you know, the case could be made to put them up top. But for the time being, there's an overall lack of opportunities for women wrestlers to fare well on the, the 500, to, to win the secondary titles um, and many other promotions, this, the tag titles, uh, the tournaments that, that help so many of the wrestlers do well. And there's one big exception to that, and it's not Impact, um, where although intergender wrestling is is part of the equation, it's not the 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 top thing they do it's not the the only thing um the independency and that's why you see so many women i think we have 15 ranked this year um and we've never had i, I don't believe we've ever had more than one and someone if uh, you please write it and uh, we've probably uh, had maybe two I, I bet we've had more than one one year but we i don't think we ever had even five no know, no uh, yeah and we've had a hard and fast rule against um any women on the list um for the past, I think Sarah Del Rey was the last who, who ranked, and she was did not have a great 500 ranking because she didn't really have any, uh, at least any men's championships or traditionally men's championships. And I believe she was number two in the women's list that year, which was, I think, only still 50 at the time. Um, so, I mean, it remains to be seen whether we're going to completely merge these, but I think it would be ridiculous to not acknowledge the fact, I mean, how could you have um impact wrestlers ranked and then not have their heavyweight champion ranked i mean it just seems it seems strange to do that and then if you extend that to the independency and you have these promotions like uh kylie ray is the highest ranked woman on the list at 78 i believe it is Uh, i'll scroll and try and check that while i'm talking 
Um, yeah, 78. So um, actually outranking T- Tessa because she was more consistent in terms of uh, accomplishments, um, not just as, as a women's wrestler, but um, in these Midwestern independents and holding multiple championships. And if you're going to recognize anybody from those promotions, it's got to be the biggest stars, right? So that taken to its logical conclusion, we had 15 women rank throughout the entirety of the list. And I mean, if the major promotions pick up and start doing more intergender matches, I think that brings us closer to a merged list and the lack of a need for a women's only list. But as it stands, I mean, it's, it's two of them and it's, I, we're going to put the question out there at some point and see what our readers think and our podcast listeners think. But for now, that's how we're approaching it. And there's a past episode, uh, the virtual roundtable with the Bell to Bells, uh, Kristen Ashley and Harmony Cox. And you can go listen to that if you want to hear a longer discussion on that with uh, the three of us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've certainly been been taken aback in in um, putting uh, both the or helping put together the 500 and also uh, the women's 100. And so much of it is looking up matches, you know, on YouTube or what have you from some of these stars and seeing how often it is a woman against a man, you know, um, and this was so taboo just a few years ago. And now, uh, as you touched on, particularly the independence, it, it's become really commonplace. And so, uh, as you said, I mean, if, if the top star in, in a company or one of the top stars beating all their competition, um, regardless of gender is a woman, then why would we exclude her from, from the list? Um, uh, just because of uh, her gender. So, uh, I think it, it makes sense. Not really a, uh, uh, a departure from any of our criteria, uh, more just kind of a, a realization, uh, I Absolutely. would think. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, any closing thoughts on on any of this? Uh, you know, another fun, challenging uh, PWI 500 uh, to put together. Yeah, I think it set a new standard. I, I'm looking forward to you know how we can kind of build on that in future years and and make it even better. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, guys, uh, for for joining this Uh, right now. As promised, you can uh, read a portion of this in the latest uh, PWI uh, in our hot seat interview. It is our my interview uh, with this year's number one ranked wrestler and the AEW World Heavyweight Champion, John Moxley. So uh, let's let's jump into it. Uh, Congratulations on being um, the 2020 PWI 500 number one ranked wrestler. I'm always uh, interested uh, when when I talk to wrestlers who I know were fans as kids and and came up uh, through the business for a long time, uh, what what their memories of the PWI 500 uh, are, either as as reading the magazine uh, as a kid or starting off as in, in the independence and seeing yourself climb through the ranks. Can you tell us anything about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, cool. What makes it cool is, uh, those magazines, you know, the pro wrestling illustrated inside wrestling, all the different ones, the five or six different titles that will be at the newsstand. Those are really, uh, part of my early education, uh, of wrestling. When I was when I was a kid, like in the you know in the mid '90s, the internet was not as much of a pronounced thing as it is now, where everybody has smartphones and computers and stuff. Uh, back then, I didn't and I didn't even have a computer, you know. So I, the extent of anything that went on behind the scenes or uh, any extra look closer at what wrestling was for me was the magazines at the newsstand. And when a new one came out, I would. Uh, just sit there at the newsstand and 
thumb through every single detail and pour through every single detail uh, of them. Uh, you know, that was my first exposure to, you know, that there, my whole universe was basically whatever WWF tapes I had or whatever they had the video store early days and whatever was on like WWF superstars. So it was kind of the first exposure to me of like, uh, it, pic pictures from like the NWA or like, uh, like somehow half the magazine would be like in color, but then half of it would be like black and white. And you see the black and white bloody photos of like first time I would have seen something like superstar Billy Graham. I don't know what that was, you know? So like I was starting to learn the history of wrestling and the, the other promotions, NWA and this and that. First time I ever read the names from Japan. Cause you look in the back of the rankings and you see like rankings in Japan, the great Muda, Kensuke Saki, and you're like, who are those guys? And you got, I got to figure that out. So like, it was kind of early uh, education was uh, for me was those magazines. Yeah. The uh, how how about uh, that, that almanac thing came out? It was like, oh, yeah. am I misremembering this? I think because I believe there was like something called an almanac. Sure. They had all the old like all the pay per view results and all the title histories and like. I'd be a little kid. I would like write that stuff down. Like, I don't know what, for what purpose, but you know, back then kids had imaginations. Now they got fucking playstations, but, uh, so I would like just write down all these title histories and memorize these results for whatever reason, you know? And, uh, so a lot of my early education was those magazines. I was obsessed with them. And, uh, I, cause I do a lot of like going to flea markets and, and scouring for any wrestling tapes I could find. If somebody was, if I found like an old magazine, I'd, I'd collect them all. I had like stacks of stacks of magazines and I would just pour through every single detail I could of those things. Yeah. Yeah. How about when you, you started coming up in, in, in uh, the business, what, you know, do you remember the first time seeing yourself on, on the 500 for, for what it's worth? It was in 2006 and you ranked at 447. I imagine at the time I was probably pretty excited to, that my name was in a magazine, just, you know, what a novelty concept, like, you know, when you're like a little kid and it's just a dream and you're imagining it, you know, to the first time, I don't care what anybody says, first time you see your name in print somewhere, you know, it's pretty cool. No matter what, it could be the local newspaper, you get pretty excited about it. Yeah, yeah. So, so did we get this right? I mean, are, are you the best wrestler of the, uh, the last 12 months? Uh, I mean... I don't know. I mean, it, you know, uh, I'm not one to uh, pat myself on the back, really. Or, uh, you know, I, I, at this point right now, you know, these days I'm wrestling for me. You know, I'm not really looking for any uh, external uh, validation from anybody or anything like that. But it is uh, it is pretty cool to, uh, you know, to uh, what I was kind of at uh, mentally the beginning of 2019. It's pretty low. So it'd be like 2020 when I'm sitting at now, it's like, it's pretty awesome. And, you know, it's to be, uh, to be number one, the thing is like the coolest thing about it, like I said, is like that, that was such a, those magazines are such a big part of my childhood. And it was like such a, it was such a dream, you know, and it just goes to show that like, no matter who you are, where you come from, you know, no matter how poor you are, no matter what area you come from, you know, I was a kid that like, you know, back when I was reading those magazines, you know, I was like, 
quiet kid got picked on i was like in special classes because they're trying to like diagnose me with like all these social anxiety disorders and stuff and like, i had to get mocked for watching wrestling you know and to be like at that point it's just like this fanciful dream and everything's you're crazy you know but if you want it bad enough and you you know go ahead and uh chase your dreams man because it just goes to show that anything can happen yeah yeah you, you mentioned you know being at that low point um early last year and and i thought about that a lot in, in putting your part of this magazine together your, your bio and remembered a lot to the uh the chris jericho podcast interview where you know there there's a young man there who who really seemed hell-bent not not on on proving yourself because i i think you already had but showing you know you talked about the the wb system being uh, uh broken and and proving that there was uh, a better way does this feel like like some kind of a vindication that you you achieved uh, this level of success, you know, outside of WWE w- without um, th- those boundaries that you never did while you were there? Uh, to a point, like there is some of that there, but I try to just uh, like be a trying to maintain the same kind of mindset I had when I originally uh, left, you know, my thought was I was just going to kind of disappear for a while, like go, maybe go to Japan, maybe wrestle under a mask. I don't know. Basically just be low key. Like I wasn't trying to like, like before I left, this is how my mindset was. I was like, I'm just going to go kind of take myself off Broadway and just kind of start over and get back to just wrestling for the love of it and like figure it all out again. And low. And then once I kind of like, you know, I'll come up with a new style or a new look or whatever, a new presentation, the whole thing or whatever. And then maybe a year later after that, maybe I'll come back on like the national scene. It didn't go like that at all. Mm-hmm. It went to complete, I went popped immediately into right in everybody's faces. And every single thing I was doing was like, had a giant magnifying glass on it. So uh, every single, which, which turned out to be cool, you know, in a different way. Like uh, I just, uh, but I tried to maintain this, just the mindset of like, I'm just wrestling because it, it's just a blessing and a joy to be a pro wrestler and I'm pretty good at it. And uh, let's just have fun, man. So like, and uh, yeah, it's been you know, pretty cool, you know, doing the, doing the G1 was, was awesome to, uh, you know, the, the absolute toughest, best, top tier food chain uh, wrestling term in the world to, to do that was like, like, what a challenge. Like, I, I had to. I was like, well, I never, I didn't plan on it. But as soon as they floated the idea to me, I was like, I was a little bit like, I don't know, man, that's pretty tough. And then I immediately went, well, now I have to do it. Because I'm not going to back down from challenge. Like, no, I have to, whether, whether it's a good idea or not. And I, I was real proud of uh, my whole, uh, whole whole performance there. What a chance to work with all these different opponents and wrestle these different styles. Really fell in love with uh, the Japanese style and, and wrestling over there. I love those fans, you know. So, and really, it's just a uh, – it's really just a uh, – I just got to thank, you know, AEW and uh, New Japan both for just giving me the platform to just go out there and just be myself and do what I do. And it, uh, the end result was 
pretty freaking good. Is, is it sort of humbling that, again, you leave WWE where, where um, you're not featured at the top and now kind of have to find your own way and you're thinking, yeah, I'll string some some dates together here and there while I kind of figure out what's next for me. And instantly, uh, as you just touched on, you know, all these promotions want you badly and want to feature you at, at the very, very top, right? So AEW, upstart promotion that, that everything was so important as far as getting it right in, in their freshman year push you right to the top before long, you know, put, put the title on you. Don't have you lose a singles match. New Japan too, you know, where you don't have that, all that experience, they take you and they're so protective of, of their talent and their talents, you know, win loss re- records. And they bring you over there, put a title on you. You string together all these victories in G1 again, sort of humbling for you that you were, you were seen that way. Did you realize that you had that reputation coming out of WWE? Um, I didn't really know, like, uh, when I kind of hatched my plan that I was going to leave was probably in July of 2018. So, I mean, it was a long, I had a long time to think about it. And, you know, I didn't really know, I didn't really know where I was going to fit in or what or anywhere, you know, I didn't really, uh, and I was keeping all my cards close to the vest, you know, so it wasn't like I was, I wasn't talking to anybody, like nobody knew my plan really except my wife or until I told uh, Vince I was leaving. And then, like, it was, uh, so I was kind of, like I said, my, I was just kind of like, they have a way of just taking you, taking what makes you special and just, like, ripping it away. And they make everybody automatons. And I'm not here to do this to talk trash on them. I'm quite honestly sick of talking about them. But, uh, you know, you just, I really didn't know, yeah, I couldn't picture what it was going to be. So, you know, but it was exciting because I was like, man, this is awesome. I, I could do indies. I could make my own schedule. I could go to Japan. I could literally do anything. And this is before AEW uh, was even in the in the picture. Yeah. Uh, I was just excited about like, hey, we'll just go, just go out there and see what the world has to offer. And uh, But I'll be in control, you know, so be my own boss. Like, that's, that's exciting. Yeah. But uh, I didn't really know everything that was going to be on the table. But it was a day or two after uh, I told them I was leaving. Rumors started to circulate or whatever. I think when I was driving back from a show in Phoenix. Oh, I guess it was the same night because I was driving back from a show in Phoenix. And by the time I woke up in the morning, my phone was just blasted with just like a million texts and calls and just from every single person you can imagine. Some people just want to know what's up, but basically I was like, whoa, like just based on rumors of me possibly leaving, I got a lot of, I got a lot of options already. <laughs> like pretty much the, literally everybody in the world was just like throwing money at me just based on the rumors. So I was like, oh, I think this is going to work out pretty good. And uh, the AEW, uh, so, so that, that was humbling to answer your question because at that moment, because I was like, Oh, like there's a whole world outside of like, like when you're you're at TV, like it's like for some reason they want to make you feel like you suck and you're not talented and you have to do it their way. But like, it's like, oh yeah, there's this whole other world out there. And there's a bunch of people who think I might actually uh, be pretty good at this. So they would like me to come in. Like, that's pretty cool. Um, So yeah, that, that was, that was humbling too, you know? 
And even, like I said, even New Japan give me a call out of the blue and being like, hey, you have any interest in coming in here? I'm like, hell yeah, because I knew I wanted to go to Japan because I've always, that's been my favorite place to wrestle because I just love the fans over there. I love the style. I love that you can just wrestle and uh, take your time and do more technical stuff. And, and they appreciate the sport and the art of it. I just, you know, I love the fans in Japan. It's my, it was always my favorite. Uh, the shows that I look forward to the most will be that when we go to Sumo Hall once a year on WWE, I look forward to that more than WrestleMania. I could give a fuck about WrestleMania. I was so excited for the Japan tour every year. I got hyped. Like, I would go balls out on those shows because I was, especially uh, I had in the back of my head an idea that, like, one day I might be coming back here. And it was, like, kind of felt a kinship with the fans. I was, like, think I think I could really, like, do well here, like, wrestling for, like, a Japanese company. Like, I had it kind of in my head. But I didn't know if it was going to be New Japan or – I figured, like, they're the top company. They probably got up a million guys trying to get in there. Yeah, that might not work out. I don't know. That might be they might have too many guys already, but they called me, so I was like, "Hell yeah!" You know, and then they're like, "I mean, you want?" I'm like, "Me?" You know, right? Okay, hell yeah, let's do it. You know, so and then, uh, but yeah, AEW. Then the AEW thing came into the picture, and that's like, ooh, now it's real interesting, and now it's like the. uh, like before, it was about me just getting out on my own, just getting back to being happy and being just being a pro wrestler again, and just get getting back to why I love this in the first place. And then it became now AEW's in the picture. Now it's like, ooh, now here's a chance to like really shake things up and like change the business for the better. Right. And like now, now it's now the now the 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 mood has changed, so to speak. Now it's like. I almost, I know I'm like, it, like the timing of everything was so spooky. Like for instance, I, I last time, my last concert with them in September of 2015. And then they tacked on like nine more months to it because I had an injury. So that made it the end of uh, April, 2019. AEW's first show was like three weeks after that. So, like, the timing was crazy, where it was, like, all the signs in the universe. It was even, the show was even in my own hometown. I didn't have to get on a plane. Like, all the signs in the universe were, like, pointing that, like, that's it, you know? And, and, and uh, if there was going to be, like, one guy to, like, really pop it off on that first night with a shocking thing, you know? Right. Uh, I think I was a perfect guy. And it just all worked out like that and they uh tony uh at first you know first you hear about it you go like well we've heard of a million promotions that are gonna start up and they got funding and this and that but it, it never comes to pass so you know it all sounds really good you know tony sat at my kitchen table and laid out the tv was gonna happen and this and that and this is way when it's all top secret and uh we, talk, we just talked about wrestling, talked about what's cool, what's not cool, how we're going to do stuff, how we're going to present it, what his vision was. And I was like, well, this is where I'm at, what I want to do. 
in the coming year. Like, this is where I'm at mentally and this is what I'm looking to do. So does that line up with what you're going to do? Like, and it's like, perfect. And like, we agreed on what we agreed on and uh, we didn't even talk money at all. We're just like, this is what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be doing some other stuff too. You know what I mean? I got like movies and stuff. I'll be doing, you know, but mainly I was like, I just want to be a pro wrestler. And that's the platform they give me to do that. You know, and I'm glad that, uh, grateful to be able to, uh, you know, bring whatever name value I have or whatever experience I have in my TV and to, to help get this company off the ground. And I think like we've just far exceeded anybody's expectations and it's just, uh, just a real blessing. Did it take some adjusting on your part? I mean, as you touched on, you leave WWE and now your mindset is, uh, really yourself, right? So what's best for me? What are the opportunities? What are things that I've always wanted to do that I can do now? And before you know it, you're, you're back working for a company, um, and, and part, you, you have to kind of shift into that team mentality where it's what's best for your the company and, and especially one that is just getting started and things like ratings and attendance and, and all that. So did that happen at some point where it became less about you and more, um, at least in part, about AEW and the team? Uh, it's kind of been like a real kind of team environment atmosphere kind of since the beginning. Cause I think everybody understands that kind of like we got something really cool here and everybody's excited about it. And the cool, the cool, I think the reason for that is just like a lot of that locker room, like they had already been working together for years. They're already friends, whether they worked in ring of honor or wherever. A lot of those guys I didn't know, you know, and, uh, uh, a lot of a lot of guys I'd known years before and just hadn't seen them in a while. Uh, it's really like it's a group of guys that like even if they weren't getting paid, they would still be wrestling. It's a group of guys that just love wrestling. Everybody just wants to go out there and kick ass and like no, there's no uh, there, there's like no selfishness. Everybody just wants to be like have the best show possible and play their role to the to the hilt. So like. For me, it's like if they want me to be in a first match, 10th match, you want me to do a hardcore match, cage match, Iron Man match, you want me to do a tag match, whatever it is, like, cool, I can do everything. So just let me know what's best for uh, however I can best contribute, you know. And uh, and I brought, like, kind of like wild card uh, uh, character kind of guy coming out of the crowd with a bar bar baseball bat kind of thing at any moment. I brought that kind of unpredictability. I think that was kind of a thing that I brought to Dynamite right from the get-go is just kind of that kind of a, a live wire kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I never expect, I honestly never expected to be positioned as a, as a good guy. I kind of figured like I was coming in, throw Kenny off the thing. I'm an asshole. You know, I, I, the, the way I, before I got to WWE, almost my entire career was always a bad guy. It was always an antagonist. You know, it's not like I did my best work like that, being aggressive. Uh, that's just the way I wrestle. Like, it's a fight, you know, being an aggressive antagonist is kind of where I thought I would be at, you know. But somehow I ended up a good guy again, which is cool because, you know, I got a great relationship with the, the fans. So it's like, Oh, you need me to play a good guy role? Cool, I can do that. You know, whatever's best for the show. So, uh, 
I mean, Jericho had a, one of the biggest matches in AEW yet because he's such a great champion and built it up. The good guy against the bad guy, classic pro wrestling thing, you know. And it, it, it's so much fun at AEW because it's like I'm just so uh, like comfortable in the role because I'm just being myself. And just go, I just go out there. Just give me a mic. I say whatever I want. They don't give me a script. You know, there's a direction, but it's like, if I have an idea, we can actually do it. I don't have to send it through 57 lines of bureaucratic red tape. You know, I had so many ideas and pitched so much stuff for so many years that never, just they just wouldn't listen to me. Or if they act, or if they took it, by the time it goes through, uh. 20 different people and gets back it's not even your idea anymore it's like some really watered down version of your original idea like now i can just like if i have an idea we can just do it you know and uh or maybe you know we collaborate and they come up with an even better idea and it's like cool there's a lot of collaboration it's just fun but because it's been so much fun and and uh, you you've uh been able to uh, accomplish all all of, of these kind of life goals in aw and in new japan in 2019 has it made the last few months especially uh, difficult you know having you know the plug pulled on on all of this now the the super red hot crowds that you were performing in front of every week on dynamite are not there you don't get to go to japan at all for the last several months so has it been really kind of deflating and on top of you know your, your wife dealing with it firsthand yeah i mean everybody in the world's you know deflated you know <laughs> whether in pro wrestling and the rest of the world and i mean it's it's literally something that's affected the entire world so i don't know uh yeah i mean it sucks because the aw red hot crowds and just the really uh awesome audience of people who just want to go have a good time watch wrestling it's a party atmosphere they love being a part of the show the fans are as big a part of our show as any of the wrestlers so not having them uh, sucks for right now. But we'll, we'll be back and we'll be, it'll, it'll be hotter than ever eventually when, uh, you know, the world becomes a safer place. Um, and for me, the audience is a big part of, really, they're a big part of my presentation, you know, coming out of the crowd, having that, you know, when I'm in there, like, when I, I'm not trying to, like, I don't like, I don't like put myself over kind of thing, you know, but like when I come out, like place goes fucking nuts. So like it's part of the atmosphere, you know? So when you don't have that, uh, you know, that's not ideal, but it's a hard uh, we've really figured out how to, uh, you know, we, we were adapting and adjusting and doing the best we can to try to give it the liveliest atmosphere uh, we possibly can. And I assure you, everybody's working their tails off. Uh, every single night, nobody's, uh, whether, you know, when we were still live on TV, you know, so it's like, we're still out there, uh, busting our asses, have the best show possible. There's still same amount of effort and creativity, uh, going into it. One day the crowds will be back and it'll be even better. You know, uh, 2020 for me was like at the beginning of 2020, I was looking at it like, actually I, I like, it was almost like it was weird. Cause I, uh, 
I think I said it on like a podcast. Somebody said like the way it's looking right now, I was like 2020 is going to be like the best year of my career. Cause it was just like one thing after another kind of just good situations I looked into or things I manifested myself. Uh, Minoru Suzuki was a dream match for me. Guy never really thought I'd have a chance to wrestle, but like, like kind of, he said something and I went, Oh, fuck you. Like something on Twitter or some bullshit. I don't even know. I kind of manifested it in interviews and stuff. And it was like a dream match fans wanted to see. So like, uh, like from the beginning of the year, it was like Tokyo Dome, Texas death match with Lance Archer at Wrestle Kingdom, uh, Wrestle Kingdom crazy moment with Minoru Suzuki at the Tokyo Dome. Then it was, uh, the, we're doing, doing the whole, uh, storyline with Jericho we're doing good stuff every week I'm stealing his car he pokes my eye out all that that was all great uh the match with Jericho won the title the match with Suzuki uh back and forth in Japan I was like really going really hard like going back and forth and busting my ass every week going through the inner circle wearing a fucking eye patch the whole deal so like it, it was like 2020 was like one good thing right after another and it was going to be more and more. And uh, I had plans. My 2020 was going to be the busiest. I was going to be the biggest wrestler, busiest wrestler in the world. Because I was going to be going back for Japan some. Uh, Dynamite every week. I was going to do be wrestling like, uh, I had all these different cool shows I was going to do. So I wrestled Josh Barnett. I was going to go to Ireland, England. Uh, we're, we we're going to have an AEW UK tour. Like I was going to be doing cool different bigger indie shows kind of touring the world like i was gonna be busy as hell like it was gonna be the i was gonna do everything on the menu like you only live once and like strike while the iron's hot so like i was gonna be all over the place all year long but then it was just like shut down (laughs) shut down so the plan when when the world gets back to normal or have have your priorities changed at all or or again do you just want to go right back to what that plan was i mean that'll be so long and who knows what that process of the world getting back to normal like as far as like safety and travel bans and i I have no idea how that was gonna shake out or whatever but i think the priority remains the same just be uh grateful that i get to do the job that I love to do for a living and do it the best I can, you know, and work my ass off for the, the people that, uh, you know, give me the opportunity and the platform to do it. You know, right now, just sole focus is AEW and being uh, the best uh, pro wrestler I can be out there every week. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's a, I'm, de- I'm determined. I've been determined throughout this whole thing to not feel sorry for myself, like at all. Because it sucks to like win the title on a Saturday, and then that following Wednesday is the last time we're ever in front of people. Yeah. Like it just, you know, I want to come out in front of twenty thousand people and like defend the title in front of twenty thousand people. But like, I'm not gonna complain. Like, there's people out there that are going through actual hard times that are losing their jobs, that have been furloughed, that their family's sick, maybe they, or even worse, maybe they lost people. There's people like so badly affected by this that like. I'm not going to cry because like we can't wrestle in front of fans. Like that's a small sacrifice. And, you know, so I'm, de- I'm determined to not, you know, uh, you know, bellyache about anything, you know, I'm very, uh, very fortunate and blessed. You know, my wife had it, but she got through it. You know, I never got it somehow. So I don't know how I'm not for sure. I would, but somehow I avoided it. 
So I'm a, I'm a very, very, very blessed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what, one, a couple more here. Uh, uh, one uh, thing you did over your year that was not universally praised, but certainly got a lot of attention was the match with, with Kenny uh, Omega. And, and one thing that sort of lingered is, you know, the hardcore stuff, is he doing too much of it? Is this, there really an appetite for this in, in pro wrestling in, in 2020? Um, looking back uh, on that match, do you still feel uh, good about it? Did, did some of the feedback on that one change at all the way you approached your, your wrestling style? I feel great about it. Uh, not at all. Like, uh, I knew the night before, I was like, oh, man, a lot of people are going to hate this. But, like, you're going to, you know, all in here, all out, you know. And that's just, what I saw was the drive of Kenny Omega to, like, because none of that was my idea. I was like, we're doing, like, first time we ever wrestled, we're doing a, because, I mean, there was, like, a reason for it was the way the booking of the title match was, was like a screwy finish. So we were going last as the lights out. But, Basically, I was like, if we're going to do it, yeah. I mean, and he wanted to go balls out. So I was like, hell yeah. All right, cool. Like, uh, not everybody's going to like, not everybody's going to like everything you do. But like, that's why there's different flavors of ice cream. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, what, what one last like, one? I, 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 will, I'm, I unapologetically uh, like that style of like, I watch like, I watch Big Japan death matches and stuff, and I'm like, oh, that's crazy. But I understand that, like, a lot of people are not going to be into that at all. But I like watching it. And there is a, you know, you can have, like, athleticism and storytelling and all that, like, in, but just take it to, like, another level of, you know, like, I like that, you know, stuff. So... Has there uh, been pushback? But, but I, I, I would, ne- I would never push it on anybody else. Yeah, you know, what I mean? like if you're like, not for me. Cool, like, totally cool. Like it really is, you know. And one day maybe I'll be in a regular match that you do like, and, and cool, you know. But yeah, well, that one was was even even uh, for people who like that style. That was a bit much for for some folks, you know. I think. Typically, there you do find that middle ground. But is there a lot of pushback from AW, or has there been pushback from AW on we need to tone this this down a bit? Is it is it you pushing for 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 more of of that kind of thing, uh, and you know, getting some editing on the other side? No, actually, it, it's kind of the opposite. Really? Okay. Like like I said, I I was like, I was actually a little like, why are we having a, like a street fight type match in our first match? Like that's a little. I, I was, but. Uh, but then I'm like, okay, like, like a lot, of, like all, everybody thinks like that was all my brainchilds probably, but like, you'd be, you'd be amazed though. I, I was like, really? We can do that. Cool. All right. Like, but I'm in. All right. Like, let's go. But, but I didn't, I didn't dream up like I wouldn't, cause I wouldn't assume AEW would want that on their show. Right. So I would never like come up to Tony and be like, dude, I'm going to stab a dude in the face with barbed wire. Cause I would assume he wouldn't be into that. But when I'm presented like, Hey, you're going to have a barbed wire bat. Okay, cool. Like I'm going to do it. Like, let's go. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. That was sort of the narrative was that it was Kenny Omega wrestling a John Moxley match, but it sounds like it actually was the other way around. Yeah. It's like when you get a, 
that's another cool thing about wrestling is like you know different guys create different uh what do you call it like uh, there's a different combustion and like when you get like the like long form kind of kenny omega is kind of a classical music like long form storytelling and i'm kind of like thrash metal like in your fucking face rah, three minutes but when you combine like thrash metal and symphony then you get like you get what we got which i think is a i thought it was a fucking beautiful fucking match there's a lot of people that that's their favorite match they've ever fucking seen you know so it's like but you, you can't worry you can't worry about it man yeah yeah uh wh- one last question that uh uh sort of wwe related but not really and and hopefully gets you to say good things and that's uh, i realized today that uh you uh seth and roman have all been number one on, on the pwi 500 i don't think it's ever happened as far as um even a tag team much less three guys uh who who came in into the national uh spotlight together all achieving this this success at the very top um what does that say about the three of you i think it uh it's indicative of you know when we uh when we came in uh it was a different atmosphere in the locker room it was a lot harder for uh for young guys to uh, i don't know what's like there now but it was a lot harder for young guys to really get a, a shot to move up the card, there was a, or to even get out of developmental was tough. You know, it was like, a, it was like we were on an Island at FCW hoping maybe every once in a while, somebody gets off the Island, but you're probably just going to die here on this Island. And uh, so we had a lot of uh, pent up kind of aggression and stuff. Cause me and Seth thought we were having the best matches in the company down in FCW and nobody was paying attention. And we were getting, uh, so we had a chip on our shoulder kind of thing. And uh, as so we come in with this like attitude and chip on our shoulder. And, you know, a lot of people don't like us. And uh, but we stuck together and we all knew that we could all be top stars kind of thing. And we, we it shows that, you know, we were right when we are, you know, driving together in the car and we had an all for one, one for all attitude. And we all knew, you know, we were going to fucking shake up this thing and, and take it over and we're not going to be stopped. I think it shows that, you know, we were right all those years later. Yeah. Yeah. Anyhow, congratulations, uh, John. Well-earned. Um, happy to see you uh, achieve this. And uh, thanks for doing this. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. All right, man. Take care. Later.